All right, friends, if you want to make your way back to your chairs, that would be great. So fun to be with you guys today. If you want to turn over to Romans chapter 8, the back third of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you'll find Acts, and you'll find the book of Romans. We have been saying the battle cry kind of for our series. We're taking a whole year to go through the book of Romans. Help me out if you know it by now. We have said if you want the best water from the well, you don't dig the well out, you dig the well deep. And Romans is a deep dive into exactly what is the gospel message and the power that it contains for everyday living. We have been uh, going through Romans for the last three months. And today has been on my mind since we started. Romans chapter eight has often been thought about this way. The greatest book in all of the world is considered the Bible. And in the Bible, the greatest letter that is written in all of the Bible is Romans. And the greatest chapter in all of Romans is chapter 8. And what I will probably say is the greatest verse in chapter 8 is verse 1. And so if you have been tracking with us through the book of Romans, uh, you need to maybe think about it this way. Um, for the last seven chapters, Paul has been laying out the basics or the foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But now, just get this, you got the, the Rocky soundtrack starts to play in the background and you're starting to bob and weave and the momentum is turning through the book of Romans because there is a shift that is taking place in Romans. Romans chapter 8, and Paul is going to ask the question this way. If the gospel is true, how does that change the reality of your life? The question that we are going to be working for on today and really for the rest of the year is just that. If the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ are true, how does that change the way that you see your life? How does that see your circumstances that you find yourself in? How does that shift the way that you see yourself as a mom, as a dad? How do you understand your work? How do you understand family? How do you understand mission? Because the reality is oftentimes we have this general belief kind of in the gospel, but we don't let it infect us deep inside. And Paul is begging us this morning to consider if the promises of the gospel are true, how does it begin to transform the way that we see our everyday lives? Now, if you have been to my house and many of you have come over for dinner and hang out with us, you would know that um, I'm kind of a messy person. Um, and so uh, don't laugh. So I'm kind of a messy person. And, uh, and like, here, here, here's the truth. When I walk into the house, I just don't see it. Is that anybody in here? Do any of you? Okay, thank you. So it's not just me. I walk in and I see there will be dishes stacked up in the sink and there will be literally bowls of cereal that are spilled all over the counter. And I walk in whistling Dixie thinking this is the best day of my life. And I, it's not that I don't care. I just don't see it. And so there may have been even a conversation that happened this morning that said, we're going to have to have a family conversation when you get home, you know, about the cleanliness of the house. And I didn't bring it up. And so, uh, but the truth is, I've got, you, you have no idea. I've gotten so much better. Um, because in college, uh, I, li I, was a, I was a slob. I was nasty. I lived in a, uh, I lived with, in a three-bedroom house with five guys from my fraternity. And we had a really good time. Uh, we had sofas in the front yard. And... Uh, 
we, we love to play jokes on each other. And so we had some of our closest friends were like a couple blocks away, kind of all around us. And we were always messing with each other's houses and doing funny stuff. We would like, once we took all their light bulbs out of everything in their house. And so they walk in the house and nothing works. And to get us back, they came to our house and uh, they removed the front door. And they, one of the guys worked for the grounds crew on the campus, and we lived like a block off campus. And he drove a backhoe to my house and dumped manure in our, on our front porch, like to get into the house, like the topsoil and mulch manure with no front door. And so now to get into our house, we had to climb up over the manure, track it into the house. The door's already open, so that was nice. And walked right into the, it was, na- I mean, nasty. There's a hole in our roof, and it was like WWF with the squirrels all night long in there. We had dishes in our house. The dishes, at least, the food scraped off the plates. In our house, in college, everything was just thrown into the sink. And if you got one layer deep, it was nasty. And we were so poor at the time. We had no money, and so we didn't have enough money to call exterminators, and so we bought like those little 99-cent mousetraps. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so I, rem- the, y'all, I remember the first day we put those up in our kitchen, and we literally, we all went out and put them all, all over the cabinets and everything, and not even, no lie, less than two minutes later, ping, 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 all, and it was disgusting. We had a, uh, one of our guys grew up on a ranch, and he goes, man, I got this great idea. And so we're like, what? And he goes, man, did you, have you been out in the backyard yet? And we said, no, why? He goes, go in the backyard. And he brought a goat to live in our backyard. He goes, man, we never got to mow the yard ever again. This is the best thing ever. It doesn't work that way. Goats don't just, it doesn't work that way. So we had to feed it. But um, so when we were moving out, after we graduated, we thought, let's do one more last hoopla in our house, and then we're out. And we were like, listen, there ain't no chance we're getting the deposit back. So that's already gone. So let's have a good time, and then we'll move out. So we had a big shindig right before we moved out. Whoop, see a house until a couple months later <laughs> when the bill came in the mail. And uh, the, we got a, a letter from the landlord that said, this house should be condemned. It is unfit for living. I cannot rent this out anymore because it is unfit and unsanitary to live in any type of that filth. Now, here's the idea. That, friends, is the native tongue of the enemy. The enemy loves to whisper in your and my ear, Just who do you think you are? You know what the problem with you is? You. You are the problem with you. You are unfit for living. You should be condemned. Your inside is so filthy and a mess. Ain't nobody going to want to live in that thing. You should be condemned from the inside. Because who do you think you are? It's like there's a banner over our lives that says condemnation, unfit for living. Now, uh, the crazy thing is, is your feelings will back that up, don't they? Your feelings will actually tell you that that is true. Well, a couple things about your feelings. Your feelings will not actually dictate reality for you. They're going to lie to you. Did you know that at the average day, there's about... You, we were talking on Thursday night in my uh, small group that you have about 60,000 thoughts a day. 
You know what percentage of those thoughts are actually negative? About 85%. That means, what is that? 50,000 thoughts a day are coming at you that are negative, unfit, inhabitable, condemned, not good enough. Nothing good should ever live inside of that. And many of us, if we're really honest, walk around with this banner over our lives that says unfit for living. And we say things like, if you only knew, (laughs) if you only knew like half the stuff that goes on in my head, you just have no idea. If you only knew how many times I said, okay, that's the last time. And yet... (laughs) It was a time after that and a time after that and a time after that. Or you don't know about the addictions <laughs> that, that nobody knows about. My food addiction, my addiction to myself, my addiction to pornography, my addiction to alcohol, drugs, prescriptions. Like if you only knew. What I would tell you is, if you only knew Romans chapter 8, because you know what the verse starts off, it says this, therefore, there is now, not later, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. It's probably the great, if, listen, if you got to memorize only one verse in all of the scriptures, you want to memorize Romans chapter 8, start in verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You have to understand that your feelings are not the Lord of your life. There are, there are facts that are true that maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, next month, maybe not even next year. But given enough time, the Holy Spirit will get a hold of your feelings and align those to the facts of the works that Jesus has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. And that word over your life is there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This morning, we are going to be rolling in. Let me, let me be honest. It's, set, it's thought of, as I said, the greatest chapter in all of the scriptures. In fact, it's so good, we're going to tap the brakes for the next four weeks and just do Romans chapter 8. Because honestly, I'm probably going to go just a hair long today because it's that good. There's just so much good stuff in there. And so, question to ask. Are you guys ready for chapter 8? Come on. It's going to be really good. So stand with me this morning. Let's get going. We've got a long time, a long way to go and not a lot of time to get there. So let's uh, say the Shema. Ask your neighbors if you're new, if it's weird. Ask them. We don't got time. So ready? Let's do it. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Kam. Hero Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. And so, God, we love you. We bless you, God. We bless you for when the enemy whispers in our ear, the only response is no. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And God, as we open your word and read it, God, may it read the souls of our lives, God. May we see things that we've never seen so that we can do things we've never done before. And so we expose our lives to you knowing, God, that you have something that you want to deposit inside of us this morning. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. All right, friends, Romans chapter 8, if you want to, it'll be up on the screens. Hopefully you are tracking along with the Bible app. It'll have all my notes and all the scriptures and references for you if you want to use the Bible app on your phone, all right? 
So Romans chapter 8, therefore, there is now, not later, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Condemnation is, of course, a legal term. It means that you owe somebody something. You owe a debt. You better pay because something is being held against you, and so you have to pay. We're set, Paul says this, if you are in Christ Jesus, you got nothing left to pay because that payment has been paid on the cross by Jesus on your behalf. There is no debt that you no longer own. Now catch this part. This is, this is maybe a little nuance for you. It would be unjust for God to hold you accountable for one ounce of your sin. Do you know that? It is unjust for God to hold you or to tell you you're condemned because of one ounce of your sin. Why? Because he's already condemned somebody. Somebody has already paid the price, and that was not you. That was Jesus on the cross. So there is no longer, it would be unjust for God to hold your sins against you and to label you condemned because a payment has already been paid on your behalf. Let's just pretend, hypothetically speaking, in our house, we don't like the temperature the same way. And let's just pretend that in the summertime, one of us likes to crank it to like 60 in our house, right? And take a nap on the couch with a sweatshirt on and a blanket. And I'm like, I, I don't understand. It drives me bonkers. Um, but let's just pretend uh, that that happens. It doesn't. She's much better about that than I am. But let's pretend uh, that the electric company sends the bill and I pay the bill in full. You know what would be crazy or would be unjust is if the electric company sent a bill, not to me this time, but to her. That would be crazy. We would say, You're, you've lost your minds. That debt has already been paid in full. Same thing. That's why there is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus, because there's, been this one, there's already been one that's been condemned on your behalf, and that was Jesus Christ. He paid your debt already. He paid your sin debt, and so it would be unjust for God to hold you accountable because that sin debt has already been paid on your behalf. The, condom, the, the declaration of no condemnation, then, is not just for everything that you've done in your past. It also covers everything today and everything from this day forward. Most of us kind of, like, as good as that is, most of us kind of understand that there's no condemnation for the things I've done. But what about today? <laughs> what about when I get in the car with my family? What about when my kids act a fool? What about next week, next month? This, this like, here's a, here's a question. When did Christ pay your sin debt for you? Have you committed one sin yet? No. No. So when he went to the cross, he paid your sin debt in full, in advance, all up front. That means that literally there is nothing that you can do right now that will make him love you any less than he does right now. There's absolutely nothing you can do to make him love you any less than he already does right now. And yet so many of us, can we be honest, church people, most of us walk around thinking, well, the more I look like Christ, the more I become acceptable. Or the more I look like Christ, the more he actually loves me. Pause. It's garbage. It is garbage. That is performance-based 
and that it has nothing to do with the message of the gospel. God, please listen, God does not love you to the degree that you look like Christ. He loves you to the degree that you are in Christ. God does not love you to the degree that you look like Christ. He loves you to the degree that you are in Christ. And if you are a follower of Jesus, as we said the last couple weeks, there's no more you. You have been swallowed up by Jesus Christ. And there's a dead carcass back there. And that, ain't, that does not belong to you anymore. And so Christ's love and affection for you is always being poured out. Not, and it has nothing to do with your behavior. It's because you, because he has now taken up residency inside of you. Now, okay, great, you get that, blah, 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 blah. Okay, what would happen, let's get practical, what would happen if I invited you to sit right here on the stage and we read the book of your life and it had everything in there? How many of us would be like mortified, so embarrassed, because we know that chapter's coming. And when they get to that, it's going to be humiliating. And then they're going to find out about that one too. What, it, what would that be for you right now? Because the truth is there is literally nothing about you. There's nothing about me that can be revealed that the death of Christ is not already paid for. There's nothing. That's why if you stand up here and you point your finger at me and you show me the areas where I may be a little off or I may be way off, you know what I'll say? Yep, that's right. He saw that one and he paid for me and he loves me anyway. And given enough time, that thing's gonna go too because the spirit now resides inside of me. There is no condemnation for those that belong to Christ Jesus. The, the banner over your life that says unfit for living, inhospitable, has been removed forever. And when the enemy whispers in your ear 50,000 50, times a day, no, no, no. Your only response is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse two, verse two says this, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So there was this law that was given to us that was try harder, do better, earn it, get after it. And all that led us to was a life of exhaustion. And now there is this law that is at work inside of us that leads to life that leads to abundance. And so if you have a surrendered life to Jesus Christ, you should be experiencing some level of freedom in your journey with Christ. You should not be carrying around the same stuff and regret and pain and all of that you've been dealing with for 20 years. And if you are, you ain't doing it right, friends. It does not work that way because there is a new law at work that is inside of you that is, should be producing freedom uh, inside of you to get free from the things that have held you bondage, those things where you feel like you have to perform or you have to pretend. Last week, if you were not here, Mackie did one of the best jobs I think I've ever heard on explaining the Older Testament and the purpose of the law. Go back and listen to it on, on, online. It was fantastic. But he talked about this idea that we wage war, that we wage war on sin, we wage war on the flesh. But here's the 
here's the nuance of that is we have been set free to wage war on those things. The victory already belongs to us. We are not fighting for freedom now. We are fighting from a place of freedom, right? Does that make sense? We're not fighting for it. We're fighting from a place from it. That means that if everything in your life from this day forward is a train wreck, if the relationship doesn't get restored, if the sickness comes back, if the kids don't come back home, whatever that is, if every day from this day forward is a train wreck in our lives, you, you flip to the end of the book and there's already victory written. There is nothing that you can do to stop because God has rigged the game for us that ultimately he redeems all of the broken pieces of our lives. So that even in this world, if everything is not, there will be one day. We live from a place of victory and not for it. Um, I grew up playing baseball at McAllister Park. And uh, we had uh, the seven rule, uh, seven run rule in any given inning. Which means that like if, if I was on a team and we were up, you know, zero to 10 uh, or zero to five, we could score no more than seven runs in one inning. Now, let's imagine this. Here's the picture. Let's imagine the score is two to 10 and uh, their team is up to bat. Coach points at me, says, Hinky Bine, get up to the mound. Well, coach, I've never pitched before. Just get up there and have fun. All right, I'll do that. What's the score? Two to 10. Can we lose? No, the game is rigged. There's no pressure. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to perform. Why? Because the victory already belongs to me. It's already in the bag. And so I bounce up to that plate like I'm going to do some damage. So whether I get up there and I beam the first batter, doesn't matter. Guy jacks a home run, second batter, doesn't matter. Why? Because I live from a place of victory. The pressure of performance and the pressure of pretending has been totally removed. There's a new law inside of us that leads to life and victory. And so if Jesus' death has released you from the penalty of sin, his resurrection now releases you from the power of sin in your life. And don't miss this connection between verses one and two. Why is there no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus? Why is there no condemnation? Because the Holy Spirit has been deposited inside of you and it gives you the ability to walk differently. Does that make sense? So because of the the death, the, the penalty of sin has been broken. Because of the resurrection, the power of sin loitering over you has been now broken uh, as well. So that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus because now we can get up and walk differently. You see this all throughout the scriptures. Do you remember the story, one of the clearest places? Do you remember the story where the woman is caught in adultery? Like Jesus is teaching and there's a big crowd following him and they bring this poor woman who's half-dressed in front of a large crowd, and it's a total setup. It's a total sham to try to catch Jesus. Because where's, if you're committing adultery, who do they bring in? Only the woman. Where's the man? That's how you know it's a total setup. They don't care about any, they don't care about this woman. They're just trying to trap Jesus. And they bring this woman before Jesus. And do you know what Jesus says to her? No condemnation. Where are they? No, no condemnation no condemnation, unconditional forgiveness. And you know what he says to her after that? Go and sin no more. 
right? The power of sin has been broken. I mean, excuse me, the penalty of sin has been broken. And now the get up and walk, the power of sin has also been broken. They're the same. It's the same coin, but different sides. The the penalty of sin has been broken. And now the power of sin has been broken. Or you can say it this way. Forgiveness and repentance always go hand in hand. Forgiveness and repentance always go hand in hand. I grew up uh, uh, going to a Baptist church. And listen, every church has their edges to them. They're really good things and they're things that maybe are a little on edge about. And I'm grateful for so much of my Baptist upbringing. But um, they used to love to ask this question. I'm going to say it in the Baptist manner. Brother, do you know if you were going to die tonight where you would go do you know for sure of your salvation? Did anybody hear that question growing up? I heard that every week, every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning, Sunday school, church, all of it. Brother, if you died tonight, and I don't know why it was always tonight. Like, why not this afternoon? But like, <laughs> if you died tonight, do you know for sure where you would go? And so if you've been tracking with us through the book of Romans, the only answer, our only response is, I do know. Because Jesus has justified me. Do you remember? Justification is not just forgiveness. It's forgiveness plus the removal of the stains. It's the holiness. So now when God sees me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the perfect obedience of Jesus now residing inside of me. That's the only answer to the test. Just in case you're you're wondering. Because I have been justified because Jesus said so. Now, as important as question as that is, you know what the other question is that they never asked? They never asked, well, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? And if you woke up in the morning, is your life going to be any different because the Holy Spirit now resides inside of you? They left that part out. The gospel message, friends, is not stop sinning. You sinful people, manage your sin. (laughs) The gospel message is behold the love of God. Behold the love of God that sent his son as a sin offering for us where the back of sin has forever been broken and frees us to get up and to walk differently. Forgiveness and repentance always go hand in hand. Paul's going to unpack this a little bit more for us in the next couple verses. Let's look at verse three. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned in the sin, the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. We are who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the the spirit. Now the message version in John chapter one says it this, this way, God became flesh and bone, flesh and bones and moved into the neighborhood. I love that imagery, but that there was a God that really put human skin on and stepped into humanity. And he lived the perfect obedience to the law. And then he offered himself up on our behalf. And because of that, now that makes a way for the Holy Spirit to come inside of us and produce inside of us now the original intent of the law. So God lives the perfect life, offers his life as a offering for our sins so that the Holy Spirit can come inside of us and help us live the intent of the law. And what is the intent of the law? We say it every Sunday morning, to love God with everything we are 
and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the law could not produce that inside of us, only the spirit inside of us. And so Paul is going to say, okay, if the spirit of God uh, produces that inside of you, how do you live according to the spirit? What does that look like? Because we talk about the Holy Spirit all the time, or hopefully we're getting to talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. How do you live according to the Spirit? Now, I understand if I were to ask 10 people in this room how to live according to the Spirit, you know how many answers we'd get? 12. You know, I mean, we have lots of different conversations about it, and it would be really fun. But rather than you give, rather than us giving our own opinions or me telling you what I think, I think it's best to let Paul answer it for himself. And so I want to show you what Paul says it means to live it according to the Spirit. Look at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on things of the fleshly desires, but those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And so to walk according to the Spirit is you and I setting our mind on things of the Spirit. Please notice what it does not say. It does not say to walk according to the Spirit that you need to set your mind on the Spirit. It says you set your mind on things of the Spirit. And this is where there's a lot of confusion with us. Because this morning, when I was worshiping, I was getting after it, that last song that Josh sang, man, he was, it was awesome this morning. And I got the, the bumps on the back of my neck and the chills. And I'm like, that's the Spirit right there. Be careful. <laughs> like, the Holy Spirit is not just your feelings. Because your feelings, honestly, brothers and sisters, can't be trusted, can they? Because my feelings can often lead me to a really dark and damaging place. The Holy Spirit is not just your feelings. First time I was ever kind of ever exposed to the Holy Spirit really was in uh, college. Me and my roommate were going to a very charismatic church there. And uh, it was new to me and I didn't understand it. it was, but it was fun because we got our cardio workout in. <laughs> These were the people that were like raising their hands or run, doing laps in the sanctuary. And it was really fun. Uh, and so even though I didn't understand it, I'm a people watcher, and it was the best place to people watch, man. It was really, really fun. And so we were, I would go with him, and he came home one night and was like, John, let me be real honest. I've heard from the Spirit of God tonight. And I said, really? Well, about what? He goes, you know that girl I've been kind of thinking about dating? Well, God told me tonight, the Spirit confirmed to me tonight that she's going to be my girlfriend. And I said, all right, why don't you tell me about that? And he goes, well, I was driving home, and I passed this billboard. And you will not believe it. The billboard was light blue with letters on it. You know what color her eyes are? They're light blue, John. <laughs> and then he said, and I was driving home and I passed this park bench. And on the park bench, there was an advertisement for this law firm. And you know what the last two digits of the law firm were? 21. You know how old she is? She's 21 years old, John. And then I was driving past the sorority house. And I know that's where she lives. And this was back when I was in college. You know what song came on? with or without you by you two. And I thought, I can't live with or without her. Jehovah Jireh, he is provided. And I remember thinking, okay, man. <laughs> so here's the thing. I'm not saying, I don't know if that's the Holy Spirit or not. I don't know if that sounds like it. It kind of sounds like the start of a restraining order to me, to be honest with you. I don't know if that's the Holy Spirit or not. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit a lot of us, listen, I love Star Wars. A lot of us have this understanding like the Star Wars is like the force out there where it's these feelings that get conjured up in us. Or, But you have to understand the Holy Spirit is not a, a, your feelings. It's a person. 
It's the third member of the Trinity that now resides inside of you that made his permanent address inside of you. And so there's a, there's, and listen, I don't want to knock on our feelings, but I think if we have 50,000 thoughts a day and most of them are negative, you can be guaranteed that that's not the spirit talking to you. We have to be careful when we talk about the Holy Spirit is not just a force. It's a person that's residing inside of you. And to so set your mind on things of the spirit means that you set your mind on what is the spirit up to? Where is the spirit going? Where is the spirit heading? What does the spirit love? What does the spirit enjoy? What makes the spirit worship? What makes the spirit rejoice? And when you figure out that, you begin to have fellowship with the spirit and you walk according to the spirit. So to focus on the spirit doesn't mean you focus on uh, the spirit. You focus on things of the spirit. It's like this. My girls, I told you, started hip hop class a couple weeks ago. Y'all, it's hilarious. Um, and so there is a, at least one time every single day, turn on some Bruno Mars around the house and we get down and we have a little hip hop dance parties in our house. Why do I do that? Because I want to get in line with what, what really makes my girls rejoice, what makes my girls find happiness and joy. And so I do what they are doing, what brings them joy. Even Christ said this. He said things, crazy things like, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the will of my father. It's not my will, but the one who sent me. And so for us, I want to be careful how I say this. If you want to be like Christ, you don't set your life on Christ. I know that sounds funny, but you set, you set your life on the things that Christ set his life on. And he said, I set my life on my heavenly father's agenda. And so to, to walk according to the spirit means that you don't set your mind on the spirit. You set your mind on the things of the spirit. Does that make sense? Please don't, don't tweet, the pastor said, don't focus on Jesus. That's not what I mean. That's not what we're talking about. But there is an alignment issue. And so the next question you have to ask yourself then is, what does the Spirit love? What is the Spirit up to? Where, how do you get in line with what the Spirit is doing, right? What does it do? What's it love? Well, a couple things. The Holy Spirit loves healing. It loves to think, to find things that have been broken and put the pieces back together. The Holy Spirit loves um, truth, where there are parts of our lives that we get vulnerable and we speak out the truth. The Holy Spirit loves that. The Holy Spirit loves righteousness. The Holy Spirit loves justice. The Holy Spirit loves kindness. The Holy Spirit loves the bride. The Holy Spirit loves the church. That's why we have to be so careful whenever we talk about any churches. I'm highly aware that Riverside's not a perfect place, but you will never hear me utter a negative word about Christ's bride because the Holy Spirit loves this place because it's the bride of Christ. The Holy Spirit loves to find lost things. When something that has been lost gets found, the Holy Spirit rejoices. And you never have to wonder if you're walking according to the Spirit when you live your life with accordance with the things that the Spirit is doing. Does that make sense? So if you want to walk according to the Spirit, yes, your feelings can be indicators, but let's be really careful to set our agenda on the Spirit's agenda and then get in line with that. And then we begin to walk according to the Spirit. So then the fruits of the Spirit are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. When do they show up? Not when you're focusing on the Spirit. 
when you're focusing on things of the Spirit, those things just pop up and are a natural expression of you doing what the Spirit is doing. When the Spirit is in the room, the fruits of the Spirit just automatically pop up. Now, I'm going to say something that I haven't really fully thought out yet, which might get me in a little bit of trouble. And I'm just asking for some permission this morning. Help me work through this. I have a thought. And I know that's dangerous, but I have a thought this morning. Um, what if the greatest impact of our sin is not the result that shows up in our lives? But what if it is actually we are being cut off from what the Spirit is doing? What if the greatest impact of your sin is, my sin is, is the Holy Spirit's home is inside of you. And he wants to do something in and through you. And when we walk in disobedience or when we sin, what we're really doing is stepping out of the flow of God flowing in our lives. Oftentimes I think about sin and we think about, well, what's the consequence? What's the impact it's going to have on me or my family? But what if the greatest damage that sin actually does in our lives is it removes the flow of God from flowing in your life? Here's the truth. I don't know. Think about that. Give me some feedback. I think, it, I think that's right. I think it's right. I think what grieves the Spirit the most is not just the sin, but that we've chosen to step out of fellowship with what God is doing. Because when you walk according to the Spirit, there's like the the hand of God. And when you walk according to the Spirit and you begin to do what the Spirit does, God's hand and your hand drop. And there's an acceleration that begins to happen in your life and you begin to experience a new life that you've never found before. And the spark of the Holy Spirit gets ignited inside of you. And so when the damaging, lingering effect of sin is, this never happens. It never happens because we're choosing to get out of the flow of what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. Verse 8, let's keep, or excuse me, verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor did it, or nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And so when the Spirit goes, so do the fruits of the Spirit. And what drives that the mindset of the flesh. And obviously Paul is not talking about your flesh and blown, your bones. He's talking about a mind uh, according to the flesh. So what does that actually mean? That's a great question. Glad you asked. There are four different selves that I think that that means. When you are living according to the flesh, I think this is what Paul is talking about, that we're about my will, self-will. I'm the boss of me, God doesn't get to tell me what to do with my money. God doesn't get to tell you how to treat my wife or my kids or my job. God's not in control. It's me, 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 living according to the flesh. God's glory. When, when we live a life that is about self-glory and about my name getting lifted up, man, whew, cuts the spirit of God flowing in your life. Listen, I don't know if y'all been watching what's happened with Kanye. It's pretty dang awesome, right? Listen, that dude like three years ago had a, he, he was famous for saying, I'm God. And now he's holding worship services all over the country. And the title, he's gone gospel. And he said, the title of his new album is Jesus is Lord or Jesus is King. And I'm like, so that's not self-glory. God's glory gets lifted up. I'm like, that is beautiful. That is powerful. Uh, I mean, 
anyways, uh, living according to the flesh, self-dependency. I got this. This belongs to me. I can manage this better. This stuff belongs to me. God hands off of this stuff. Or self-righteousness, where you walk around and you think, well, if I'm good enough, long enough, then finally somehow I'm going to be acceptable to God, right? Those are, that's what it means to live according to the flesh. Well, if you live according to the Spirit, it's just the exact opposite. Everything in that list where it says self gets replaced with God so that you are living out of God's will out of being faithful to God, where God gets the most glory in your life, where you walk in a humility and you experience what it means to lift the name of Jesus really high, where you are so dependent not on yourself or your circumstances, but you're dependent on God to uh, orchestrate the, your, your, your steps. You're not dependent on your own righteousness, but you're dependent on God's righteousness because he has given it to you. And all of a sudden, when that begins to happen, you begin to come under God's hand and there's an acceleration of what the Holy Spirit will do inside of you. Again, what if the most devastating effect of sin is not the lingering effects it has in our lives, but it cuts us off from the Spirit working in and through us? Let's bring it home as we wrap it up. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. Indeed, the spirit, uh, excuse me, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to him. But if in Christ, if Christ is in you, though even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who now lives in, inside of you. And so verse 9 says, uh, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. You could say it this way. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So please don't miss, don't, don't miss, don't, don't miss this. The amount of spiritual power that you are experiencing in your life has nothing to do with how much of God you have in your life, how much God you have. Because he's given you everything. <laughs> he's not withheld anything from you. And so the question is not how much of him do you have, but how much of you he has. How much of you have you given him? Are there areas of your life that are like with my kids? Off limits. Smack that hand. God, that, that part's mine. You can't have that part. The question is never, 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 how much God do I have in my life? But it's how much of you have you given him? That's the only, that's the only question. And so here's a couple takeaways I want us to wrap it up with this morning. A couple takeaways. The first is this. The Christian life is not gradual self-improvement. It's fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This should change everything because I grew up, uh, like I said, going to a Baptist church where we talked about sin a lot. And the greater the sin, the worse the effect that it had in my life. But what if the greatest devastation of sin is it cuts me off from the Spirit working inside of me? Do you know what that would do? That would take all those small areas of compromise in my life 
and they become mountains as well. Because anything in my life, no matter how big or how small, is cutting me off from the Spirit of God working in and through me. And so, it's what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, if you've been tracking with us. You experience this living death, where this thing that is supposed to be a spiritual journey, you're spiritually dead inside. You experience this living death, as Paul had been talking about it. You're not experiencing this resurrection power. It's not a return, excuse me, it's not a return to religion, but it's a surrender to a person. Um, The next one, sorry, I think we jumped ahead. It says, coming to Christ is not a return to religion, but a surrender to a person. Please catch this part. Oftentimes when I talk to my friends, my family, or even people in the community, they'll say things like this. Yeah, I'm really trying to get back into God. Or I really want to get involved again. And here, there, being involved and being connected is just essential for your spiritual journey. No, you, can't, you will not be healthy without it. But oftentimes what my concern and my fear is, what they're actually maybe missing is, there is activity can never replace intimacy. That activity is not the same thing as living a surrendered life to Jesus. When I took driver's ed, I drove these old Buicks and then they had like the steering wheel and the gas and brake and the driver's ed instructor, well, he had a, uh, a brake in his, his side too. And so although I was kind of really driving, ultimately he could tap the brakes whenever he wanted. And I wonder would that describe your journey sometimes? <laughs> Where it's like, I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving. Or maybe he's driving, he's driving, he's driving. And he starts heading in this way and way. And you're like, nope, tap the brakes. Oh no, I, I, I can't deal with that. We're not going back there. I can't, I can't be generous with that part. I can't offer that. I, I need to protect myself tap those brakes because I'm not going to do it. The Christian life is not a return to activity, but it's about a surrender to a person. Listen to how C.S. Lewis says this. Christ says this, give me all of you. I don't want a certain amount of your time. I don't want a certain amount of your talents. I don't want a certain amount of your money or a certain amount of your work. I want you. All of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measure will do. I don't only want to prune a branch here and prune a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Give it to me. Hand it over to me. The whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants, all of your wishes, all of your dreams, Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make of you a new self in my image. Give me yourself in exchange. I will give you myself. My will will become your will, and my heart will become your heart. To fellowship with the Holy Spirit, that means living a life of total surrender. 
there's only one deal that he makes. There's only one cards that he's going to play. And that's going to be all of him for all of you. That's the only offer available. It's the only offer on the table. Now, that's some heavy lifting right there, isn't it? All of him for all of you. Can we, do, can we do something this morning? Will you close your eyes and maybe just turn your wrist up like in a posture of ready to receive? And Let's just pray for just a second. And so God, there is no condemnation because I belong to you. Are there areas of your life right now where there's been some other offer? Maybe he's, I'm giving you all of me. And you've said, that's awesome, I'll give you half. I'll give you three quarters. I'll give you 95%. Jesus would say, no, all of me for all of you. So right now, I'm just going to ask you to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to highlight any areas of your life where there has been something that's been held back something that's been you've been clinging on to that has not been turned over to the Lordship of Jesus. And now we give it to you. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, because the power of the Holy Spirit now lives inside of me. Just receive that. Make it personal. Take down the sign that says, unfit for living in Habitable. And you put up the sign that says, No condemnation. 